Good morning. Welcome to Mountain View Sunnyside today. I think one of the great things about where we are is we can begin to think about what life is going to be like after it goes back to normal, after we move out of the phases and after uh, we go back to the life uh, somewhat similar to what we knew back in February and early March. And the question that I want to ask you this morning, the question that I want running through your head as we look at another life, uh, a life example of somebody from the Bible is when all of this, when all the sheltering in place, all the social distance, all the masks, all the things that have become part of life as we know it for the last two and a half months, when all of that is nothing more than a story to be told. What type of story do you want to be able to tell? What type of story do you want your life to reflect? What type of legacy are you going to leave? Are you going to step into now as we move out of COVID-19 and as we move back to life at normal? I saw a meme this week uh, that said, we're, we're all going to move out of this funk in one of four ways. We're either coming out uh, as a chunk, as a monk, as a hunk, done with that one, or as a drunk. Like that one would be, be, would be definitely the worst. But how are we going to step out of this moment? A chunk, a monk, a hunk, or a drunk, which is obviously, obviously the worst out of all those. And what we're going to look at today is the life of another person in the Bible who stepped out of a damaged situation very well. I think as we look through people in the Bible and look through lives and what people were able to accomplish in their dash, you know, between when they were born and when they died, this person is on my list of the most underrated, unheard of people in the Bible. And we got somebody in our Sunnyside family who shares the same name as this person. No, it's not last week, Manoah's wife. I don't know anyone named Manoah's wife. Uh, this guy is a guy who led and led fearlessly and led boldly in crazy awesome ways. And this guy's name is Nehemiah. And what was so exceptional about Nehemiah and what made his story something uh, that's existed and, and pushed us and encouraged us for the last 2,600 years is that Nehemiah rebuilt Jerusalem twice. Nehemiah rebuilt Jerusalem twice. He did it twice, not in the sense that people would say, well, rehab is easy. I've done it seven times. Like, not that. But Nehemiah had to come in and put God's chosen city, Jerusalem, back together in two different ways. And if you want to be specific about it, he actually did it in three. What's happened up to this point is that the nation of Israel has been God's chosen people. God loved them. God led them. God protected them. And that nation, Israel, repaid God the same way that a lot of us sometimes repay God. And that's by running from God. So they ran from God. They ran from God's protection to run, to sin, to do things their way. And so quickly they became slaves to sin, which led to nationally becoming slaves to other countries. So this country, Persia, comes in and they take out the best of the best. And Nehemiah was one of those people who instead of growing up in Israel as an Israelite, he grew up as an Israelite in Persia. And so he got to learn his family's history. He got to learn why the nation of Israel was special to them, even though he wasn't living anywhere near there. And he got to hear the stories about what's going on and the things that have been taking place. And so Nehemiah, a politician working in the king's court, his heart begins to break because of what's happening in the country that his family calls home. And so he asks the, the king of Persia at that point, he says, I want to go back and I need to rebuild my city because of what's happened. 
We need to bring this thing back to a place that honors God structurally by the way that it looks, but also by the way that people live their lives. And so he goes back and he leads this country against massive opposition in coming back to God. They're rebuilding the city and there's enemies from the inside who are saying, we're doing it wrong. There's enemies from the outside who say, if you keep building your walls, we're going to come in and we're going to kill you. And one day his soldiers come to him and, and the builders and they say, we can't do this anymore. And he says, no, 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 this is how I want you to live now. I want you to do your work every single day with your tools in one hand to do the work that I've told you to do and with a weapon in the other to defend yourselves. And so this is how the city was put back with tools in one hand, with a weapon in the other hand, led by a leader who is all about passion. And so at the end of it, they, they, the city is fixed structurally. And so Nehemiah and, and Ezra, who's another one of the key leaders there, there's also a book about him uh, right before Nehemiah. They lead the whole country in giving their lives back to God in surrendering in obedience once again to God. And it's amazing. There's this huge covenant and, and the, whole, uh, sit, the whole country says we're going back to God. And at that point, Nehemiah looks at his work and he says, okay, I'm done. I'm going back to Persia. The king let me leave. I'm going to honor the king by coming back. And Nehemiah's motivation for rebuilding Jerusalem structurally and spiritually, you know, putting the walls back up and then tearing down the walls of sin that existed in their hearts, it comes down to one thing. Not one thing is passion. That's what I'm going to look at today is passion. Passion is single-minded, one-directional obedience. All right, if you're watching The Last Dance, the miniseries about the Chicago Bulls, Michael Jordan was a man about passion, a passion for winning. Nehemiah was Michael Jordan before Michael Jordan, and he makes Michael Jordan look like a kiddie pool because Nehemiah was able to turn around a whole country to following Jesus. He knows where he's going and he takes all the steps to get to that end. He's saying, whole country, follow me. We're going to rebuild these walls. And even if, you have, even if you have to do it with a weapon in one hand and your tools in the other, we're going to make this thing right again. And we look through the Bible and the people uh, that made a difference in the Bible were men and women filled with passion. You look at Jesus, who's God with skin on, who came into our world to give his life for our relationship with God, give his life for our sinfulness. He was a man of absolute passion. There's one point where he's doing ministry. He's telling people that the rest of the society had kind of forgotten about and kicked out and said, you don't really matter anymore. Jesus is telling them about God's incredible love for them. And he'd been doing it for so long that his disciples started to get worried about him because he wasn't eating. And so they come to him and say, hey, we got food. And he says, no, 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 my food, my drive, my intensity, that fire inside of me that keeps me going is to do God's will. He's like, that's how I get excited. That's how I get stoked. That's what pushes me to more. And for Jesus, the thing that he did that was so incredible was that drive, that passion to serve God and glorify God led him to give his life on a cross so that you and I could have a relationship with God. And so Jesus dies on a cross publicly, humiliatingly, redemptively, because from that comes our salvation, comes our new relationship with God where we've got forgiveness from God because of Jesus. And the excitement of that, the passion of that, that somebody stood in our place and paid our debt for our sin to our God because of us in place of us and for a relationship with us, that passion began to fill Jesus' followers. 
And so the early church, the first century church, is made up of men and women who lived with the same passion that Jesus did. And so they obeyed God even to the point of even giving their own lives so that other people could know about Jesus who came as a man filled with passion to bring them into relationship with God. As we say this, one thing I want to make absolutely clear is it's really easy to, to hear all these great stories and see this awesome example and then look at your own life just sitting there on the couch and thinking, man, that's not me. I could never live up to that. God would never accept the, the offering that I bring him through this. One thing I want you to hear real quick is none of this is done to gain God's acceptance. None of, this is gained, none of this is done so that God looks at you and me and says, okay, that is good enough. No, the reason that these people, that Nehemiah, 600 years before Jesus, that Jesus and that Jesus' followers since then, the thing that has pushed them to give everything, even their own lives, out of passion for God is because we are already accepted. Because we are already loved because of what Jesus has done for us and us accepting his work on our behalf. Because at the very beginning, before you had ever done anything right or wrong, God loves you. God chose you. God saw the moment you were born knowing exactly what is going to follow you. What decisions you're going to make that are going to be good. What decisions you're going to make that are going to be bad. And God says, I love them even in the midst of that. I love them before any of that. That love is an accurate love too where he sees us knowing where we're going to sin, knowing where we're going to separate ourselves from God. And so seeing that before we had ever made any decision to follow God, God sends Jesus into the world to trade his perfect life for our totally sin-filled and sin-broken life. And when we say, okay, God, I realize that's for me. I realize that your sacrifice, your death was for my life, that it was my death you died that's where we find acceptance from God before anything else that we could ever do, beyond anything else that we could ever do. We become sons and daughters of God. If you've never done that today, I want to give, if you've never done that today, I want to give you the chance to do that. There's a number right here at the bottom of the screen, and you can just text in your name and say, I want to give my life to Jesus today. And someone's going to call you today and pray with you over the phone today, and you'll give your life to Jesus from that, that means that Jesus now has your life. That means that the rest of your life is lived in a way that's going to put God number one in everything. It's going to lift up God and, and we're going to take a step back because our life now is going to be run by passion for Jesus. It's going to be run in a way that makes Jesus look good. And Nehemiah does four things 600 years before Jesus. He does four things that push us and show us what passion in our relationship with Jesus looks like. And it happens 12 years after the first rebuilding. All right, Nehemiah moves from Persia into Jerusalem, builds the walls back up, turns the people back to following God. He goes back to Persia to honor the king that had let him go. And then he comes back 12 years later because he wants to see what's going on. I think that's the beginning part in us giving our lives back to Jesus and us saying, okay, when we come out of this thing, what type of story am I going to be able to tell about everything that happened? What type of story is my life going to be able to tell? Nehemiah left home to go do something. And for all of us, something needs to happen if anything is going to happen. Nehemiah saw that change needed to happen if change was going to happen. He saw that change needed to happen if change was going to happen. 
If there's anything different that you and I want to see happen in our lives, it's going to take us doing something different. It's going to take us stepping out of our comfort zone, stepping out us, stepping out of the way that we've always done things. And I understand you've got your system. I don't know you. I don't know your life. I don't know what takes you from where you are to bring you closer to God. But I want to say this clear for all of us to understand. Some of our systems are terrible. Right? That's just the fact. Some of us have lived so long in our own brokenness that what we consider normal, what we consider healthy for us, just because it's the way that we've always done it, isn't that great at all. A few weeks ago, uh, we're in that period right now because between where it's not too cold to do this and it's not too hot to do this, uh, but my kids have been asking for a backyard camp out. So a couple weeks ago, between where it's too cold and where it's too hot, uh, we set up the tent in our backyard. You can't go camping anywhere right now except for your backyard. Uh, And we did this on a Friday night, and I knew all along sprinklers go on on Saturday morning. Very early on Saturday morning. Inconveniently early on Saturday morning. So I'm setting up the tent with the kids thinking about this. Everybody's happy. We're having a great time. The sprinkler control box is like all the way on the farthest corner, most inconvenient corner of the garage. So I'm pounding stakes in. We're running the pulls through the tent and everything. I'm like, nah, now is not the right time to go turn the sprinklers off. I'll do it later. Finish setting up the tent. We go inside. We get dinner. We bring it outside because now's the time where you get to eat outside without sweating through your clothes. And I'm like, nah, now's not the right time to turn off the sprinklers. I'll do it later. You know when I did it? I did it at 2 a.m. Guess what happened at 2 a.m.? Sprinklers inside the tent because my system was terrible. I had many opportunities of when to turn it off and every single one I decided, you know what, I'm gonna do it later. My system is to do it later. That box is really, really far away. And for all of us right now, this is a moment where we can change things, where we can dictate what type of story can be told about us as we begin to move out of this COVID phase, as social distancing becomes a phrase that no one uses anymore. The shelter in place is a joke about, I don't have anybody to hang out with on Friday night. Oh, I'm sheltering in place. This is a chance for us to try something new. And the whole story about Nehemiah rebuilding Jerusalem a second time began because he did something new. So he leaves Persia, he gets to Jerusalem, And the first thing that he does is Nehemiah cleared space for worship. Nehemiah 13.7 says this, When I arrived back in Jerusalem, I learned about Eliashib's evil deeds in providing Tobiah with a room in the courtyard of the temple of God. I became very upset and I threw out all of Tobiah's belongings out of the room. So what, what had happened here is there's this place in the temple, the building where God lives where the people who were in charge there had completely stopped leading people in worshiping God. And part of them worshiping God was they brought offerings, they brought things, there were special things that you used back then in worshiping God. And since no more worship was happening, that room just became empty. So what he allowed to happen was somebody to move in and, and basically rent an apartment in the place where God was supposed to be honored. They made that their home instead. And so the first thing Nehemiah does is he walks in and in the midst of evil decisions that were happening that prevented people from worshiping God, he throws the guy's stuff out of his apartment, out of his room that he had built in the temple and said, I'm clearing this space for worship once again. 
The thing about that that we look at today isn't like saying go out and throw all your stuff on the lawn and, and you know that'll bring you closer to Jesus. It's the reminder that our hearts never stay empty. When we remove the worship of God from our lives, that spot in us doesn't just stay empty. It gets filled by something. You want a prime example of what this looks like? ESPN right now, I don't know what, like right now, because I don't know when you're watching this, but one of their big things right now is televising Korean baseball, all right? That's all that's on. The show that devotes like an entire weekend to fantasy football, which is like Dungeons and Dragons for people who like sports, an entire weekend just to that. The only thing they have to broadcast is either stuff that happened before I was born or Korean baseball, because nothing else is happening. So what are they doing? They're trying to find everything possible, anything possible, to fill that void. And you and I are no different. We're no different. We take God out of our lives, and that space is not just going to stay empty. It's going to get filled by something, anything. And one thing that keeps God in the center of our lives It gives him a tangible place to work, a regular place to work, a structured place to work, is Sunday church. I I, I know you can say, well, you don't understand my schedule. You don't understand how the way that things happen and the way that our family does stuff. I want to say clear that, that as you're setting routines and setting precedent and setting the authority that God has in your life, one of the things that's dead set important, always important, is gathering with people to worship God. YouTube church, the way that we've survived right now has been amazing. It's been a gift from Jesus. But it's not going to be the best way for us to continue. In fact, we want to gather again as soon as we can. Here's my friend, Pastor Fred, with what that's going to look like as we begin to gather again as Mountain View. Everybody wonders, when are we going to gather back in this physical house? I mean, I'm here talking to an empty room. When are we going to gather again? We think about you, we love you, we want to be with you, we want to gather together. We're anxious to meet, but there's many considerations. We don't know what's all happening and coming with the government and the rules and the laws. Everything's changing all the time. But here's some things we do know. We're praying for God to be our deliverer. We're praying for God to be our deliverer, that his will will be done on earth as it is in heaven that he will gather us together in freedom from COVID-19 and from anything else that prevents us from meeting. We're asking him to speak to us, him to lead us, him to sweep COVID-19 out to the sea. Join us in praying for that, that God will be our deliverer. We've committed to fasting one meal every Thursday, praying every day, but specifically on Thursdays. We're going to fast, we're going to pray, we're going to seek the Lord as our deliverer. We're working together with other churches in our, in our city and in our valley. I mean, I'm talking with people every week, pastors, city leaders, county leaders. People are sending petitions in to the, to the governor on behalf of all the churches. We're saying, God, we want to do this and we want to move forward and we want to pray, but we want to do it in a way where we're unified together. We're, we're holding shields together as churches and say, let's march together and do this together. Thirdly, we're praying and petitioning, like I said, all levels of government. Give us a plan. Give us a date. Tell us what you're thinking. Count us as essential. Move us up in the timeline. 
We want to respect the government and those in authority over us. We'll continue to submit to their authority, knowing that our ultimate authority, though, is with God. And we'll follow Jesus' lead as he tells us what to do. We're going to listen to Jesus. We will do whatever he says because we have passion for him and for his house. And lastly, we are extremely concerned. Extremely concerned for you and for your safety, for your health and for your well-being. Even as we gather, we are going to take all possible precautions. You know, things like we've been told to do. Social distancing. We've removed half the chairs. We'll sit, you know, apart from people. Wear masks, take temperatures, have the children in the meeting so we're not having them meet at least initially. We're going to try and follow everything that we should do to bring safety. And for some of you, man, you say, man, I can't come no matter what, man, I'm compromised, I'm, I'm this, I'm that. Stay home. We're going to continue to be online, we're going to continue to give you a service that you can watch, we'll do it with the best of our ability and passion. Because we care about you and your safety. We're praying for you. We're praying for your jobs and your livelihood. We're praying that God watches over you, that he is also your provider, your protector, and your deliverer. So for now, we're meeting on Zoom in shape groups, life groups, men's groups, women's groups, triads, life groups, youth groups, young adult groups, in every way we can. And I encourage you, Engage with the family of God in every way you can now. Because, man, we want to gather together. We want to be in the house of the Lord. We have a passion for his house. All right, so Nehemiah does something else at this point that pushes his country towards faith-filled obedience. So first off, you know, he, he realized that change needed to happen. If change was going to happen, he cleared space for worship. And the next thing is he devoted himself to something that required faith. Nehemiah is the leader of the country, so him devoting himself to something requires faith means that he's pulling everybody with him. And it's not a step that is going to maximize uh, the GDP of the country. You know, it's actually a step back that's going to minimize, it's going to be a sacrifice to what they do that's going to promote who God is in their lives. It's going to promote as a country what they think of God and who God is to them. And so it says in verse 10, Nehemiah 13, 10, it says, I also discovered that the Levites had not been given their prescribed portions of food, so they and the singers who were to conduct the worship services had all returned to work in their fields. I immediately confronted the leaders and demanded, why has the temple of God been neglected? Then I called all the Levites back again and restored them to their proper duties. And once more, all the people of Judah began bringing their tithes of grain, new wine, and olive oil to the temporal storerooms. What he's doing right here is he's pulling the people back to God's blessing for them that comes from the step of obedience in tithing. Tithing means that we give right away, first of the month, as soon as it comes in, we give 10% of everything we make back to God. It's a way of us saying, okay, God, I recognize that you are my provider, that I am not a self-made man or woman, but you have provided for me. And out of that, I'm giving 10% back right away to God's temple for the work of the church. When we do that in our own lives, we're trusting God as our provider. We're living open-handed before God to say everything that I have is yours. The 100% all comes from you. Here's 10% right away. God, help me manage the 90% in the best way that's going to make you Lord and leader of my life. 
We're living that way open-handed. And Nehemiah says right away, as a country, we're going to take a step forward in faith by giving away 10% of what we bring in. We're giving it back to the church for the glory of God. We're giving it back. The second thing is in verse 19. It says, and then I commanded that the gates of Jerusalem should be shut at darkness every Friday evening, not to be opened until the Sabbath ended. The Sabbath in that point was a 24-hour period where no work happened. It's a reminder for them of the time when they were slaves in Egypt and God miraculously moved in and walked them out of their slavery. It's a day off because as slaves, you never get a day off. It's a day focused on glorifying God and focused on worshiping God because as a slave, you don't have that opportunity. And so this was begun as a way of reminding people that God is number one. And so it's a day off out of worship. It's a day off out of faith that God's gonna take the production that happens in the other six days and make it enough for all seven days. So he says, this is not gonna happen. He continues in 19, I sent some of my own servants to guard the gates so that no merchandise could be brought in on the Sabbath day. The merchants and tradesmen with a variety of wares camped outside Jerusalem once or twice, but I spoke sharply to them and said, what what are you doing out here camping around the wall? If you do this again, I will arrest you. And that was the last time they came on the Sabbath. And then I commanded the Levites to purify themselves and guard the gates in order to preserve the holiness of the Sabbath. Remember this good deed also, oh my God. Have compassion on me according to your great and unfailing love. What he's doing right here is he's moving people back to tangible acts of worship. They're acts of faith that symbolize uh, something so much bigger than just taking a day off or something so much bigger than just forfeiting 10% of your profits. It's actions and activities that put God as number one in our lives financially Number one in our lives and what we can produce and what we can take home and who we are as employees and workers. It's a day to say, God is my deliverer. I'm not the most important, most powerful person here. And say that God is my provider. And as we give to the church, as we take a step back from work and not be allowed, not allowing ourselves to be run by work and ruled by work, we're saying, okay, God, you're number one in my life. As we live in a time where everyone is worried about finances, putting God number one in our lives by giving 10% back to him right away sets us up to live in faith and not in fear. We're living open-handed before God, saying, okay, you're number one. I wanna follow you in this, and I trust you that you're gonna take the 90% that's left to cover 100% of everything that I need. It's tangible acts that remind us of our dependence on God. And the last thing that Nehemiah did was he realized the value in everyday devotion to Jesus. He demonstrates for us, he realizes, he pushes us the value in everyday devotion to Jesus. Verse 23, it says, about the same time I realized that some of the men of Judah had married women from other countries. Furthermore, half their children spoke the languages of other countries or some other people and could not speak the language of Judah at all. So I confronted them. For here right now, for us, this is a spiritual principle. It's not a national principle. It doesn't matter where your spouse comes from. The idea is what are you surrounding yourself with every day that's gonna either push you toward God or pull you farther from God? It's a charge for all of us to start at home because some of you aren't married and so it's like this policy doesn't apply to you. 
But Nehemiah goes at marriage. He goes with the things that are going to be around the men that he's speaking to every single day, every single night. That the, the people around him that are going to affect their lives the most are these things pushing you toward God or pulling you farther from God. And so for us, we read this right now. We read this on the precipice of being able to move back in uh, to society as we knew it, where we're gonna look back at this point of, of our lives and look back at this point in our history and all it's gonna be is just a story to tell. And my question for all of us is what story are we going to be able to tell? And what are you gonna do about it this morning that's gonna frame how you can tell your story? I mean, for some of you, it means that there are going to be tangible things that change. My encouragement to you is whatever's in your head, if you're thinking, man, that's too far, I could never do that. God wants to empower you to do that. God wants to increase your faith to take extraordinary steps for him. And all that begins with little decisions. Nehemiah didn't tell the people, hey, you need to go out and you need to fix everything. He's saying, I want you to put me first in your finances, I want you to put me first in your worship. I want you to put me first in the way that you work and go out and earn a living. And then I want you to put me first around those things that you see every single day. For some of you, that could be getting off social media this week. With more time, with more things to look up, with more... uh, with more trending things and, and things going viral about something big that's gone viral. Social media has just begun to suck up so much of our joy and so much of our peace. And man, maybe this is a week for you to completely cut the cord on that and to walk in peace and to not be run by your phone or or by social media. Maybe something for you this week is is to just change your attitude. And the truth is, is that you're not going to change anything. You're going to ask Jesus to come in and change your attitude. God, I want a new attitude toward the people that I live with that are difficult. God, I want a new attitude toward our government leaders which like we said a little while ago, we respect them and we pray for God to move them because that's the way that God tells us to. And maybe it's to say, God, I want to begin to read my Bible again. It could have been a habit that either you've never started or it's a habit that's been shelved for way too long. But it's a step for us to say, okay, I want to see something change so something needs to change. Jesus, this is what I want you to change in me. This is what I'm bringing to you to say, God, this has is, this is gone to ruin kind of like the nation of Israel. And just as you sent Nehemiah there to restore it twice, God, I'm asking for you to do that in me again. And if there's something in your life where you want to change drastically during this period, where you're going to be able to look back at COVID-19, early 2020, and for the story that you tell to be a time where God worked in your life and completely changed your life, then we need God to do that. For you, I encourage you to, to text the number at the bottom of the screen and say, and put your name and just say, this is what I want God to change and someone's gonna call you and pray with you. It'll be great. It'll be you asking Jesus to come into your life and to bring out of his passion, his ability, his power to grow in you a passion to serve God and live for God and glorify God in a way that's gonna completely change you. Let's go back into worship.